take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Rock Bellville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. Now, here's your host, Radical Ross Bellville. Good day, tokers and toquettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Wednesday, November 18, 2015, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Welcome to the show. We are live from Washington, D.C. We're at the Crystal Gateway Marriott in Arlington, Virginia, to be accurate about it. But we're here at the Washington, D.C. version of the Biennial International Drug Law Reform Conference, the Drug Reform Conference here. Hashtag ReformConf15, and we are here at the opening reception. It's huge. Every reformer I know from east to west and everywhere in between, as well as across the pond and south of the border, they are here in Washington for this three-day event. It takes place tomorrow. There are so many seminars, so many great plenary speeches that will be held here. Uh, this is an amazing event. I've been here a couple of times to t- two other events, one in L.A., one in, uh, uh, where was the other one we did this? I don't even remember now, but uh, these are always amazing conferences. And one of the best things about this conference is comparison to the conferences I usually cover is it's not just about marijuana here. This conference is about drug law reform and harm reduction. So you're going to get everything from uh, clean needle exchange to uh, testing ecstasy at uh, rave parties to uh, methods of, of other methods of harm reduction and help. Pat Oglesby hanging by. How you doing, Pat? Good to see you. So many people stopping by. We'll be talking to all of them. Uh, as You want to say hi, Pat, on the mic there? There's one right there, right there. We got Tax, uh, tax expert Pat's been on our show many times. How you doing? Russ, good to see you. Uh, welcome to D.C. This is, I grew up in this area. My, my junior high school yeah. is just a walking distance from here. So <laughs> All right. great to be back and welcome nice to, be home. to the well, East Coast. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for having us here uh, in Washington. Uh, you got a great city, of course. Uh, the Crystal Gateway Marriott is pretty impressive. Uh, there's a whole basement mall, <laughs> like this uh, you know, underground kind of mall you can go to. So we don't even have to leave the grounds to get something to eat or something to drink. It's just a great time here at the Reform Conference. Many luminaries will be stopping by the desk here. We will have uh, Amanda Ryman from Drug Policy Alliance will be stopping by. We also ran into Diane Goldstein from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Uh, she'll be stopping by as well to talk to us. Uh, Lauren Vazquez from Marijuana Policy Project ran into her earlier. We've got Sharon Raver from Peachtree Normal. She'll be stopping by. It's just going to be jam-packed this next two hours. So stay tuned with us. Stay here live on CannabisRadio.com, and we will be talking to all of the reform luminaries we can get here at the desk. It's a pretty big setup, too. There's this big, long hall I'm looking down, and I'm on one end of it. The registration's all the way at the other end. So during the commercial breaks, I might have to go round some people up. But I'm telling you, it's going to be a great event here at the Reform Conference. Follow me at Radical Russ on Twitter, Periscope, Facebook, and Instagram, uh, at Radical Russ. And the hashtag is ReformConf15. ReformConf15 for the hashtag. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we've got the Cannabis Radio News. we got one of the pioneers, the man who made this possible. I'm telling you, Dean Becker's here. We'll get him on the mic in just a second, but we're going to take a break. When we come back, we got the Cannabis Radio News, all sorts of headlines, starting off with a headline from my congressman, Earl Blumenauer. 
All of that coming up. Plus, we've got a look at the city of Medford, Oregon, which is proposing an absolute ban on marijuana growing. Indoor, outdoor, recreational, medical, personal, or commercial. They don't care. They want to ban it all. We're going to take a look at that in Behind the Headlines. And like I said, we'll be talking to many more people at Reform Conference 2015. I'm Radical Russ with CannabisRadio.com. Stay tuned. The news is next. smoke is rising and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested welcome to the cannabis radio network founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade industry headlines business updates medical reports marketing and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption let's grow together the cannabis radio network cannabisradio.com your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled k-a-e-r-c-h-e-r that's karcher insurance we have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years we're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product your plants and your pursuits k-a-e-r-c-h-e-r spells out their full service insurance services ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at CarterInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News, covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is available exclusively through CannabisRadio.com in partnership with the Associated Press. Now, your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds in the Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, November 18th, 2015. Representative Earl Blumenauer, the Democrat from Oregon, said Wednesday that Acting Drug Enforcement Administration Chief Chuck Rosenberg should be replaced after calling the notion of smoking marijuana for medical purposes a joke. Quote, Rosenberg is clearly not the right fit for the DEA in this administration, Blumenauer said during a speech on the House floor Wednesday morning. The acting agency chief made the comments to reporters earlier this month, saying, quote, what really bothers me is the notion that marijuana is also medicinal because it's not, Rosenberg said. Quote, we can have an intellectually honest debate about whether we should legalize something that is bad and dangerous, but don't call it medicine. That is a joke. End quote. Blumenauer hit back at this notion during his floor speech, saying, quote, what is a joke is the job Rosenberg is doing as acting DEA administrator, he said. He's an example of the inept, misinformed zealot who has mismanaged America's failed policy of marijuana prohibition. 
Oregon lawmakers are reviewing possible regulations to the state's burgeoning industry, including edible marijuana serving sizes, pesticide use, and marijuana tracking. The State Department of Agriculture has identified 250 pesticides that marijuana producers are using to keep pests, mold, and other common problems at bay, the Oregonian reports. According to federal regulators, the pesticides on Oregon's list pose minimal risk to human health. The Joint Interim Committee on Marijuana Legalization was also briefed Monday about shops choosing whether to sell recreational or medical marijuana, the possibility of tracking medical marijuana more closely, and monitoring the serving sizes of edible marijuana products. Terminally ill patients in Florida could soon be allowed to use medical marijuana to ease their pain under proposals that passed the House and Senate panels Tuesday. Lawmakers had intended to widen two state laws, one that permits terminally ill patients to try experimental drugs and another that lets five nurseries grow medical marijuana with low levels of the euphoric chemical THC. Senate Bill 460 keeps regulations used by the Department of Health to grant licenses for nurseries to grow low THC cannabis for children suffering from severe epilepsy and cancer. 30 years as a licensed nursery in Florida and the capacity for 400,000 plants. The five licensed nurseries are expected to be announced in the coming weeks. But in the House, lawmakers are now considering a bill, House Bill 307, that allows 20 growers that don't need to be the original five nurseries and don't need to have the same qualifications. The inspiration for the change is a concern raised by a group of black farmers that tough licensing rules favor long-established companies and box out newcomers, including many African Americans. The Florida Legislative Black Caucus took up their cause two weeks ago. A proposal to allow Utah residents to use oil extracted from marijuana to treat more diseases, including cancer and HIV, received an early vote of support Wednesday from some state lawmakers. The measure also would allow the oil to be produced and distributed in Utah. The state currently lets only those with severe epilepsy who meet certain conditions to have the oil, and only if they get it from other states, such as neighboring Colorado. Supporters say 2,000 to 5,000 people would be issued cards under the new program from, that was sponsored by two Republicans. The Health and Human Services Interim Committee voted 10 to 5 to support it. Doctors who recommend their patients use the oil would need to report side effects to the health department, and no doctor would be able to have more than 100 patients on the oil. The program also would cover those with AIDS and certain chronic pain conditions. Colorado's governor has ordered the destruction of marijuana treated with unapproved pesticides, his first action on the matter after months of product recalls and media warnings about unhealthy pesticides on pot. The executive order by Governor John Hickenlooper on Thursday, November 12th, called marijuana treated with certain pesticides, quote, a threat to public safety, end quote, and said it should be destroyed. The governor acknowledged that there's scant scientific evidence about which pesticides and fungicides are safe to use on marijuana, but he said that questionable pot should be destroyed until more is known. The order came after the Denver Post reported that pesticides barred for use on cannabis were still being applied and found at high concentrations in products sold to consumers. Denver city officials placed thousands of plants on hold last spring after finding they had been treated with unauthorized chemicals. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, November 18th, 2015. I'm Russ Belville.
You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your Cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. Five of the last nine major party candidates to run for president, three of the last nine vice presidential candidates, and the last three two-term presidents have all smoked pot. Marijuana, the gateway drug to the White House. This is the Russ Belville Show. Maui Wowie, Acapulco Gold, California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Get Dot Buzz. Dot Buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. Dot Buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. Dot Buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. Dot Buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Welcome back, everybody. Time for us to go behind the headlines, and we're taking a look at the southern Oregon city of Medford, where a Medford marijuana grow ban would include personal pot gardens. This is a story coming out of the Medford Mail Tribune, uh, and they estimate that this would affect 1,942 growers in this tiny Oregon city. Medford City Council is considering an ordinance that wouldn't it, wouldn't just ban big commercial farms from supplying marijuana for adult personal consumption. Tomorrow, the ordinance receiving a second reading would ban indoor and outdoor grows for any purpose, not just the new commercial licenses created through our 2014 Marijuana Legalization Initiative. That means nearly 2,000 medical marijuana grow sites and the patients who depend on them would be wiped out. Growing one's own marijuana would become a civil violation under the ordinance. Now, a plain reading of the state law shows that Medford has no legal justification for such an all-encompassing ban. 56% of Oregon voters passed Measure 91 in 2014, which was amended by House Bill 3400 in 2015. 53% of Jackson County voters voted yes, 
which drills down to support as great as 65% in the Medford Downtown Precinct 58. Now, the relevant portion of the law is Section 134, which says, in part, the governing body of a city or county may adopt ordinances to be referred to the electors of the city or county that prohibit or allow the establishment of any one or more of the following. Marijuana processing sites, medical marijuana dispensaries, marijuana producers, marijuana processors, marijuana wholesalers, and or marijuana retailers. Now, this ability to ban, as decided by the voters and the legislature, applies then to just the commercial marijuana world from grow to sale, not to the personal four plants allowed for all adults, and not to the medical six plants allowed for medical marijuana cardholders. Even then, since Jackson County didn't oppose Measure 91 by 55%, as per the West Idaho Compromise, they would have to refer any commercial marijuana bans to the voters at the next general election. But the city of Medford isn't concerned with puny state laws. They're basing their right to ban on the twin pillars of local home rule and the federal prohibition on marijuana. Earlier today, I spoke with Portland marijuana attorney Leland Berger, who said, quote, the ability to ban grows is preempted by state law. However, in Medford, the Jackson County Circuit Court has ruled in civil cases that Federal Controlled Substances Act preempts the state marijuana laws, specifically as to HB 3400 and medical marijuana dispensaries. The reasoning is broad enough that it would cover the adult-use home cultivation as well. End quote. Berger speculates that the ordinance, if it were challenged, would likely prevail in trial court, only to be taken up in appeal along with a current case from Cave Junction that ruled the Southern Oregon City could refuse to issue business licenses to medical marijuana dispensaries. The city council feels the need to institute a marijuana grow ban because of the threat of crime and a neighborhood nuisance of marijuana odor. Yet, in last Thursday's first reading, Lieutenant Kevin Walruff gave a presentation showing that since 2012, there have been 44 criminal cases involving marijuana, declining from a high of 17 in 2012 to just eight this year. Lieutenant Walruff also said there have only been 27 official complaints about marijuana odor and that most of the cases were resolved through mediation. A lack of actual data, however, hasn't stopped a majority of the city council from believing that marijuana growing is an existential threat to peace and harmony in Medford. The Mail Tribune's reporter, Damian Mann, has been covering the council and their justifications for the ban ordinance, and they are appalling. Councillor Tim Jackal claims he's received numerous complaints about marijuana grows, and Councillor Dick Gordon believes the low numbers of official complaints don't accurately represent the problem because, quote, after a while, you don't complain because you want to get along with your neighbors, end quote. But most disturbing is Councillor Daniel Bunn, who agrees with Gordon that, quote, there are a lot of people who don't like it but are afraid to complain. They don't want to go on record saying my neighbor does drugs. They are afraid of these people, and they should be, end quote. <laughs> you know, folks, it's always a telling sign of prejudice when you hear someone use the term those people. They're taking this up at the Medford City Council tomorrow at noon. If you're in Medford, get active. That's just how white folks will do you. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Mr. President. <laughs> hey, folks, it's 20 after the hour. 
That means it's 4.20 in Denver, Colorado. It's 6.20 here on the Eastern Time Zone. But you know, when we're on the air, it's 4.20 everywhere. So if you got it, light it, smoke it, pass it, don't be a Bogart. Be right back with pioneering radio activist Dean Becker coming up next. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. From high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. Activism begins with ACT. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. All right, welcome back, everybody. We are live at the Reform Conference 2015 in Washington, D.C. And, you know, uh, I was just doing some research the other day, and I realized that I've done, I'm approaching 1,600 podcasts. And that would be a big deal if the man sitting across from me wasn't here because it's Dean Becker from Houston, KPFT, and, of course, Century of Lies, Drug Truth Network, and all of that, who's probably done thousands more than that. How you doing, Dean? I, I'm good, Russ. We're approaching 7,500. 7,500. Right? See, yeah. I'm a piker. Well, <laughs> I've, been, I've been slacking. Well, no, hey, Russ, the, the point of it is you saw this, this futility, this failure, and you had to do something about it, right? Yeah, that's the way it is. It's like you – it just – it's an, it's an offense to logic, reason, compassion, oh, yeah. humanity. <laughs> I, I, on the flight in today, I, w- I was just thinking about it. You know, what holds it together? And, and I thought, if Spock was here, he'd start off with, it's illogical. And, and then we would go to, it's immoral. And yeah. then it has no nexus with reality. It's a fairy tale pipe dream put forward by moralists, charlatans, and profiteers 100 years ago. And it's, it's taken hold of the American psyche, our consciousness, and somehow has lasted Truly, a hundred years. Yeah, it's amazing. We, we go all the way back to the early 20th century. I've been posting quotes up on the, on the screen here that we get from Anslinger and Floyd Basket and all those guys that, talking about the Negroes. They can touch the white women and look at their shadows. Yeah, all. stepped on my shadow, God <laughs> damn. Yeah. So uh, one thing about this. Oh, and before I forget, uh, 
folks, make sure that you're checking out Dean Becker's uh, programs, uh, Century of Lies and uh, Cultural Baggage. Drugtruth.net is the place you can get a hold of them. And uh, starting this off, when you started, I mean, when I got into this, I kind of picked up the ball from Chris Goldstein, who'd already got it going for normal. What was it like in the early days, show number one, <laughs> trying to get that off the ground? Well, it, it started with the prison show, which yeah. was a show by uh, put together by Ray Hill. He did it for 30 years there on KPFT. Okay. And he gave me a little segment right in the middle of his two-hour show. I called it the 420 Drug War News. Yeah. Uh, then um, it went well. Program directors gave me uh, uh, an hour slot. Actually, it was every other, I think it was Saturday at 1 a.m., and uh, it got better and better. They, they put us in prime time. They gave us a second show. Uh, they, we do nine shows a week now. Wow. And uh, the, the, the point is it caught on like wildfire because nobody was saying this on the airways. Nobody anywhere. Uh, John Stossel had done a couple of good programs. Right, right. Uh, what year are we talking about? We're talking 2001 when okay. I went on air. Okay. And, and, uh, but, it, but it caught hold, and uh, other stations just started playing it without even asking me. And, and, <laughs> and, uh, and it, it just took hold. At, at the peak, we had 115 stations. I think we're down to 72 or something right now because of good folks like you and others that are doing uh, news about the drug war and, and uh, kind of, you know, taking my space, if you will. And that's fine. I'm all for it. Yeah. Hell, I want to retire. I'm getting old, Russ. <laughs> You know, I think also it might have a lot to do with media conglomeration over the past 15 years. All these radio stations getting bought up, turned into sports talk or whatever. Well, true. Uh, I, actually, my first year, I was on Sirius Radio yeah. as well. They, they uh, called me and asked if they could use it. That was when they were new and looking for programming. Uh, they only carried us about a year and a half and just dropped me without saying anything. But, hell, it was a good start. Yeah, yeah. I got dropped by uh, XM Satellite. So <laughs> yeah. we have that in common, too. We've been dropped by Satellite Radio. We're speaking with Dean Becker from DrugTruth.net, the Drug Truth Network. Uh, he's got great shows, Cultural Baggage and Century of Lies. They're heard, like I said, in over 70 terrestrial stations and online. You can subscribe to the podcast. Now, you've covered lots of these conferences and Tell folks how your what's your perception of the of the reform conference compared to others. Well, look, I'm a pot smoker. I, I am a pot activist. I, I enjoy it recreationally, medically, um, and uh, um, spiritually. But it's not the only thing that I focus on. I'm also a former cop. I'm a speaker for law enforcement against prohibition. I'm a uh, uh, contributing expert at the James A. Baker the Third Institute there at Rice University. I look at this drug war beyond just marijuana because marijuana is going to change the equation because we'll see that there's been a series of liars and charlatans who have benefited from these laws. And once that has been done, we'll then be able to re-examine the laws against heroin, cocaine, and whatever. Uh, my goal, my main goal, of course, is to stop funding the terrorists if they'll grow the flowers we forbid. It is to stop enriching these barbarous cartels who killed well over 100,000 people in just the last few years. And I want to take away the reason for which tens of thousands of violent gangs prowl our neighborhoods with high-powered weapons selling contaminated drugs to our kids. And, and I, I bring focus to bear on that. I've, I've had great luck in getting the local police chief to come on air and to declare the drug war to be a miserable failure. It was captured by Fox and NBC. It has gone around the country. It's been recycled in the Houston Chronicle at least nine times talking about that one interview with my police chief. And the whole point of it is no one 
There is no one on this planet who can defend this drug war. We have invested well over a trillion dollars. We've arrested well over 50 million of our fellow citizens, and yet drugs are still cheaper, more pure, more, more available to our children than ever before. And the fact of the matter is this drug war has never stopped even one child from getting their hands on drugs. It is a preposterous notion, and it needs to be exposed. And these politicians and officials who won't come on my show, they know I'm on their ass. They know I'm chomping at their heels. And they know this truth is going to come forward very soon. And uh, that's my main goal is just to chase those lion weasels. That's right. And uh, one of the things uh, Dean Becker does on his show, and it speaks to another aspect I like to say sometimes it's not a war on drugs so much as a war between drugs. And you have a little segment you do about name the drug by its side effects. <laughs> I always love hearing that segment. Yeah. And, and, and speak to that angle of how uh, this drug war has almost been, you know, a collusion of government to help profit it helps support the profit of pharmaceutical industries. Well, you're absolutely right. They, they Look, you've seen the reports like America, it might cost $100 for a prescription. You go to Canada, it costs 12 yeah. you, you go to you know Australia, it costs 16 We have been duped again. That's the whole point of this drug war is to fool us into believing that there are these authorities who know so much more than us, who, who should be respected and paid for that knowledge. And uh, we, we when we do the name that uh, drug by its side effects, I, I'm always seeing one on TV, and, you know, they'll talk about the benefit, the benefit. But be careful, it may give, give you, you know, cancer and the rotting anus. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> and, 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 and that's the whole point is that, you know, the natural way, if possible, should be the way to go. And uh, as we've learned, marijuana is a great uh, medicine for so many maladies that, that uh, attack the humankind. And uh, we've learned in the last 10 years about the cannabinoid system, how we have those uh, uh, receptors and, and how they need to be fed in order to function properly. And, and the truth is coming out. These politicians know it. They, uh, they, they just hide from that truth because many of them have, quote, made their bones through this policy, through their pronouncements that this was so necessary, mandatory minimum, lock them up, throw away the key, don't ever let them get a job, housing, credit, loan, anything. And uh, punish these people forever because they made a bad choice. And it, may I share something with you? Sure. It was about 15 years ago, um, uh, Robert Field produced a newspaper. I can't think of the name of it. One of the articles in it featured two pictures of uh, George Bush and Gore. And they, they were standing behind bars in these pictures. And the, and the quote on the picture said, uh, should these two men uh, be punished or not allowed to be elected because of their youthful indiscretions? And I showed that to my parents. And I said... Should they be, you know, punished for their youthful? And they said, oh, no, of course not. I said, how about me? And at that moment, it opened the door for me. My dad then went on to join Bill Glass Christian Ministries. He went to the prisons. He learned the truth of this as well. And it just fortified me and uh, gave me the the kick in the butt to go down to Pacifica and say, I'd like to do this show. And eh, it, it worked out. Yeah. Uh, we're speaking with Dean Becker, again, from Drug Truth Network. Century of Lies, Cultural Baggage are the two shows. Make sure you check them out uh, every week, right? Uh, every week. Uh, the, right now, uh, Cultural Baggage airs on Friday afternoons, and uh, um, the uh, Century of Lies airs on Sunday evening. But, uh, but they're all posted with transcripts. We have uh, about four, well, no, 3,000 of them have transcripts now. Wow, that's pretty amazing. I, I need someone to do my transcripts. <laughs> so uh, one last thing to consider as we, uh, we're shifting paradigms here. We're, we're quickly moving into 
a world where marijuana is more accepted and becoming more legal. But among many people, there's a fear that we transition from big, bad, evil pharmaceutical companies to big, bad, evil, big marijuana. Yeah. It's going to be oh, corporate, mm. marketed to kids, gummy bears, and, you know, Joe Camel. Your yeah. thoughts on that? I, I, boy, I tell you what, Russ, it, to me, I had a dream, you know, as a kid, growing pot from the age of about 18 to 58, uh, about when I quit, that I would open up a little shop, Becker's Buds, and just, you know, sell some good quality stuff at a good price. The truth be, be told, outdoor pot, once really legal, 50 states, everybody quits giving a damn. It's going to sell for under $100 a pound, and that's, that's because it's so easy to grow. Yeah. You, you give me an acre in Texas, I can grow you 1,000 pounds without blinking. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what farmer in America wouldn't want to make $10,000 an acre? And the price will fall, will plummet. Indoor, I, I'm not that good at indoor knowledge. I'm, I'm sure it will drop well under 1,000 and, and probably under 500 because the competition will make it happen. I've, I've heard the... Uh, um, you know, the, the possibility is three to five hundred for the electricity. I don't know how much it really costs, but but my my point I want to make is that it's going to happen. It's going to happen much faster than many of these politicians realize. I can't think of the gentleman's name, but they were asking him when will alcohol prohibition end. He yes. said it, uh, it's it's going to be impossible. Uh, it's going to be akin to uh, a hummingbird tying the Washington Monument to its tail and flying to the moon. Yes. And three years later, it was legal. Yeah, it was some senator in 1929, and it was the same year the Women's Organization for National Prohibition Reform, uh, Pauline Sabin, got involved. Four years later, that hummingbird was on his way to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dean Becker, it's been great sitting here talking with you, and Drug Truth Network has always been a true inspiration to me. You've been a guiding light for me in professionalism and, and tenacity and doggedness. And I really appreciate everything you've done in creating this space in, in, in the uh, online radio sort of world and wish you the best of luck as we go on to the future. Well, Russ, the same right back at you. You've picked it up and ran a, a couple of touchdowns yourself, buddy. I, I <laughs> My hat's off to you. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a break. Coming back up with us in just a little bit, Sharon Rayford from Peachtree Normal. Don't touch that dial. We're right back to Radical Russ in just a few minutes. Hey, does anybody really have a dial anymore? You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. 
educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Hassan Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone, and Recording King banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon, at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com. Activism begins with ACT. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. Welcome back, everybody. It's 38 after the hour here live at the Reform Conference 2015 from the Crystal Gateway Marriott in Arlington, Virginia, suburbs of Washington, D.C. Joining me at the desk is one of the greatest grassroots activists out there, person i'm proud to call my friend sharon raver from peachtree normal is joining us hi sharon hi russ how are you doing i'm doing well how are you i'm fantastic and from what i've been reading uh in the media you're doing gangbusters there in florida i keep seeing your name florida georgia i keep seeing your name popping up all the time Uh, what's the latest from georgia well we're uh moving along pretty quickly we have had seven uh committee hearings uh this summer two of which were a brand-new caucus, the Georgia Legislative Black Caucus, and we've been introducing people from LEAP, SSDP, Normal, uh, talking about, you know, let's get over the reefer madness and actually help the patients that were still hurting and actually stop arresting everybody. We are still arresting 35,000 people in Georgia. And they're starting to listen to us. Uh, uh, they have been listening to us for a while. They've been stalling, but we just keep pushing and pushing, and we're getting there. And we have a lot of stuff going on. We've got SR6 which was introduced that we've got a campaign going uh, called Let Georgians Decide. It would be an amendment to uh, legalize cannabis in Georgia uh, to our state constitution. 
Um, then we've also got a hemp bill. We're working uh, diligently to make the medical CBD joke that we got last year yeah. uh, into something workable for patients uh, so we can stop the flood of refugees to other states. And then, of course, we're going to have a decrim bill, if everything goes well, uh, coming uh, down the tubes in about a month or less. So, and, and meaningful decrim. Wow. So we're actually getting movement in the deep south right there in Georgia. And, you know, you mentioned the CBD bill. This was, you know, there's these wave, this wave of CBD-only legislation that passed. And now it's in existence in every southern state to one degree or another. Right. Has this been a, a political fig leaf for some of these legislators to be able to say, oh, no, we dealt with medical marijuana? Oh, yeah, they're calling it medical marijuana yeah. now. <laughs> I mean, they call it that every day. You know, um, so that's exactly what it was. It's a stall tactic, quite frankly, and it's not working. Uh, we have thousands of people signing petitions, although we don't have ballot initiatives. Petitions do help. It's just like going and talking to your legislators, uh, writing those emails. It's important. And they're hearing from the Georgia citizens. We just uh, did a petition the other day, actually, and in the first day we got 4,500 signatures to uh, expand the medical bills uh, and, and let actually let doctors decide. Dr. Uma Donabalan, who sits on our board at Peachtree Normal, she's been uh, down to testify twice in the last um, uh, two weeks, actually. And so uh, she, she's pushing to uh, stop naming all these ailments and diseases, stop naming the symptoms, and let the doctors not only decide, but if you want, she's, she's I don't know how anybody would feel about this, but I'm going to tell you, and I'll, I'd like to ask you, um, Russ, she's saying if the doctor says that it is either acute, chronic, or debilitating, that's all the three words we should need for a doctor to make a decision. Is that what do you think about you know, that? That 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 sounds reasonable to me. I'm no doctor, but acute, chronic, and debilitating. You know, when we look at the states that have conditions condition lists, the conditions they accept are those things: right. acute, chronic, debilitating things. So, why bother listing them? Exactly, <laughs> and that's the route. That's the way she's going down it, and we're so glad to have her. And uh, she's going down that road, and and hope, and she's educating our legislators, and they're very interested to hear what she's saying. They're not sitting on their phones texting. They're actually asking questions. That's great. That's great. And uh, are the questions getting more intelligent? <laughs> I mean, because yes. I imagine they don't really know a lot at this point. And they're just- well, we've been educating the hell out of them, quite frankly. Um, and they're learning. And the ones that want to learn are learning. And, you know, we, I, I say it a lot. It's like today's the information age. If you're ignorant, it's by choice. Yeah. And, and, and I tell them they can look up marijuana legalization, marijuana law reform, and, and learn more than most of their counterparts or their colleagues know in an hour sit down on the, on the computer. And aren't lives worth that to you? Yeah, that's a very good question. Very, very good point. Uh, you've been uh, getting some blockbuster quotes in the media. The other one I saw, in, I can't remember, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution or which paper it was, where you said, the only thing marijuana is a gateway to is a criminal record. Yes. <laughs> I love that. And, and are they beginning, are the legislators beginning to understand the waste of lives and money involved in this? It, it, I would think maybe the money angle might be. The money angle will get them to some degree, but I think the shame angle is what's going to get them. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, we have a problem in the Deep South, and people are shocked, quite frankly, that we're moving so quickly. 
and that the conversation has gotten so loud and so many people have joined Peachtree Normal and other groups. And, I mean, we've got a huge group of people down there. Um, and I think the main reason is because we're so oppressed. Yeah. They're arresting kids. They're shooting people. They're throwing flash, uh, flash bang grenades into baby toddlers' playpens. They're, they're busting down doors because somebody said that somebody has marijuana. I mean, you know, people get pissed off at each other. If my neighbor gets angry at me because I didn't cut my grass in the right time frame that they thought then they can call the law and say they smell marijuana and they'll come bust down your doors. That's what we're living with behind the green curtain of prohibition in the South. And I believe that's why this is not only just about marijuana, it's about civil rights, it's about freedom, and we are the cradle of the civil rights movement in Atlanta, and there is nowhere better for DPA to be coming in 2017 than to our city, and we are so thankful they're coming. That's right. We will be at the DPA. This very conference is taking place in 2017 in Atlanta, and I'm glad you brought up the civil rights aspect of this because... Uh, Atlanta, hotbed of civil rights activism and, of course, a large African-American population. Uh, are the, other than the use of the Legislative Black Caucus, are you also like NAACP and other groups getting yes, involved? Yes, absolutely. The NAACP, the ACLU, we work with a group called um, Stop Mass Incarceration Network uh, and with the Coalition to, new, uh, to End the New Jim Crow. We're working with the Ordinary People Society, which is run by... Reverend Kenny Glasgow, he's out of Alabama, but he comes over all the time. And yeah, that's quite frankly, I'm 50 years old. I didn't really go through all that, although I marched in the streets of Atlanta when I was five, I was told, with my older sisters and brothers. They were 21 years older and 18 years older than I, so they were old enough to be doing that. But I have this rich history of civil rights activists that I have learned so much from, just being in Atlanta being involved with all these groups and just looking to them and watching their movies and listening to their their words and reading their books and actually meeting them personally in Atlanta. And they're coming together to end the drug war altogether in Georgia. And 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 marijuana may or may not be the first step. Yeah, that's amazing. Sharon Rabert with Peachtree Normal. You can find them at peachtreenormal.org, at peachtreenormal online, Twitter, Facebook, that kind of stuff. And uh, Sharon, uh, how about yourself doing this? I mean, I remember when you first applied, uh, getting involved with Normal. It's been, what, three years, four years? Three and a half, yeah. Three and a half. How much has this changed your life? It's completely changed my life. I'm poor now. (laughs) I'm an activist that gets paid zero money, and I gave up a a pretty decent salary. Yeah. Uh, but it, it has enriched my life uh, more than any money could have. Yeah. I've met a lot of wonderful people um, and, and, and I just love what I do and I'm not going to stop until we're done with this and once this is over I'm sure we'll find something else that needs to be fixed. Right yeah. Russ? There'll be something we have to legalize. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Well Sharon Rayburn, thank you so much for joining us here at the desk. Have fun here at the Reform Conference. We're going to take a break. I believe Amanda Ryman is somewhere around here from Drug Policy Alliance. I'll go find her for you. Track her down. Thank you so much, Sharon. I'm Radical Russ live here at the Crystal Gateway Marriott in Arlington, Virginia for Drug Reform Conference 2015. The conference starts tomorrow. We'll have three days of coverage. Tune in live at 6 p.m. Eastern each day 
for my highlights, interviews, and analysis. I hope we're back with Amanda Ryman right after this. to the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. Earn your PhD in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. In the next few months, the motion picture industry and theater owners will be bringing you a series of messages like the one you just saw. I don't think anybody will miss the point. The thrill can kill. The drug dealers need to know that we want them out of our schools, neighborhoods, and our lives. And the only way to do that is to take the customers away from the product. Say no to drugs and say yes to life. Of course, your local drug pusher may tell you a little something different about these drugs. And who you believe is up to you. But then again, if you go ahead and try them, at least it won't be out of ignorance. Just stupidity. What would I do if someone offered me these drugs? I'd tell them to take a hike. This has been the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. To cure this sort of reefer madness, listen to the Russ Belville Show every weekday on 420radio.org. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant everybody. We are live here at the Crystal Gateway Marriott in Arlington, Virginia for the Drug Reform Conference 2015 International Drug Reform Conference. And joining me here from Drug Policy Alliance, the group that's putting this little shindig on, we've got Amanda Ryman at the desk. How you doing, Amanda? 
I'm doing fantastic, Russ. How are you? I'm great because I'm here at the Reform Conference and it's like the biggest family reunion on the planet. It is. It's like all my favorite people from drug policy are in this place right now. I know. And uh, a three-day schedule so jam-packed with stuff to do that you, it is impossible to see it all. I'm just going to say, you cannot see it all. You cannot see it all. And that's why I always encourage people to go see things they know nothing about. Yeah. If you're a marijuana person, go to all the psychedelic and harm reduction and criminal justice stuff. If you're a criminal justice person, go to the marijuana stuff. I mean, this is an opportunity to broaden your drug policy horizons. Very good point. And uh, there's three days, uh, plenary sessions to start each, oh, not each day, I guess Saturday doesn't start a plenary, but uh, there's closing. Closing plenary. Saturday. And then uh, three different uh, setups of uh, breakout sessions. Now, uh, being that I'm on a marijuana station, I'm going to cover the marijuana ones because I have to. But uh, there's stuff, like you said, uh, harm reduction, needle exchange. Uh, what are some of the topics we cover? Um, we talk a lot about psychedelics, uh, psychedelic therapy. We also talk a lot about criminal justice. So as you know, the United States locks up a higher percentage of its population than any other country in the world. Um, we talk a lot about that, and we talk a lot about why. And it's a lot of unpacking. So thinking about what's going on in our society that drives us to feel that we need to lock up drug users in this way. And the speakers are unprecedented. I mean, we have people here from all over the world, people that are working on this issue in countries all over the world, getting together and united under one common theme, which is ending the war on drugs. Excellent. And, uh, of course, we were speaking with Sharon Raybert uh, from Georgia. She was so happy. She told, she told me that uh, getting the announcement uh, that the conference would be held in Atlanta in 2017 was like listening to the IOC pick the Olympic site. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really excited about going to Atlanta. I mean, my family's from Atlanta, and so um, I have a lot of roots there. And I think it's really important. I mean, and, and this is something that I told the marijuana folks last week in Vegas at the industry conference. We're out of low-hanging fruit, guys. Like, we're done. After 2016, yeah. any state that we're going to go after is a state where we're going to have to change hearts and minds. Yes. So we need to stop spending all our time in California, Colorado, Oregon, you know, all of the really friendly states. And we need to go into enemy territory because those are the folks that need us the most. You know, those are the folks that are getting locked up for life for marijuana. Those are the folks that don't have access to harm reduction. Those are the folks where the racial disparities are at their worst. And who better to come in and shake that shit up than the Drug Policy Reform Conference? There you go. And, uh, of course, looking to 2016, we've got uh, most likely California, Arizona, Nevada, Massachusetts, and Maine. Uh, maybe some medical out of Florida, uh, maybe Missouri as well. Any I'm missing? Um, did you say Nevada? Nevada's on, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Nevada. Um, no, I think I think we could see some movement through the legislature and some of your small northeastern states like Vermont, um, New Hampshire, Rhode Island. Um, but you know, these are these are the states we expect, sure. right? I mean, except for Missouri. You know, I gotta say, uh, Travis Mowers and I try to pull one out there, and I good go for it. You know, I, I think that's fantastic. Um, but these are the states you would expect. And so after all these states are gone and we're thinking, okay, who's next? Then we're really going to have to do a lot of work because the next states are going to be ones that are not in favor of legalization. Um, and so that's why we're going to Atlanta. That's why we need to take this show on the road and go into those pockets of resistance. And not just the people that are the, the reformers, but I would love to see more finances from the marijuana industry coming to fight this fight. Um, because you know what? If you want to have a national business, a marijuana business, you have to have legalization. And not just in a handful of states, but everywhere. So until the industry realizes the importance of pushing the reform fight forward, you know, we could hit a wall. Yeah. You know, I just uh, wrote an article on how big marijuana looks like Snoop, Willie, Marley, and Rihanna. 
And I got no problem with that if they were donating 10% back to the reform movement. Like you said, they can't expand their market unless we get more legalization. So give us your impression. I mean, you just came back from Vegas. I was in Jamaica. I missed the Vegas thing. But uh, industry conference. There's now a marijuana industry, and there's there's so many conferences now, I can't keep track of them. But they're all increasingly business-focused and how to make a whole lot of money. So give us a compare and contrast between reform conference, industry conference, and, and what industry conferences should do moving forward. Well, I mean, it is an industry conference like any other industry. You know, I went to the first marijuana business conference in 2012. It was tiny. You know, uh, they had just legalized in Colorado. There was no exhibit hall. Um, you know, now, just three years later, there's over 5,000 participants and over 200 exhibitors. I mean, it's really unbelievable how it's grown. And it's like any other industry conference, right? You have people that are developing software, that are developing processes, that are developing plans to make your business grow better, faster, smarter. Um, so I think that's great. The difference is that at the end of the day, when the tech conference people go home and the biotech conference people go home and the pharmaceutical people go home, the people that are involved in those industries are not at risk of going to prison. Yeah. And their consumers are not at risk for going to prison. And that's what makes this different. So I think there's a responsibility on the part of the industry, as it becomes ever more industry-like, yeah. to remember what's important, and that is the fact that people are getting in trouble for using marijuana. And I use the analogy in Vegas that, you know, if we're all drowning in a sea of prohibition and the lifeboats have started to arrive and Colorado got to get in and Oregon and Washington and awesome, that's great. But you better not be starting that party on the shore until everybody's out of that water. And those are the people in Georgia and the people in Alabama and the people in Louisiana. And so it's not over. It's not even close to being over. And so I have been really happy to see that there's a lot of more marijuana industry folks here at the DPA conference than we saw two years ago. And that's extremely important because they're going to be touched by what they hear here. You cannot not be touched by what you hear here. And I'm hoping that they take that back and say, we need to make this a priority. Good. We're speaking with Amanda Ryman from the Drug Policy Alliance. Uh, drugpolicy.org is the website, at Amanda Ryman for Twitter, right? Correct. Okay. And uh, let's look at the federal level now because, of course, we've got the 2016 presidential election. Bernie Sanders wants to deschedule. Hillary got dragged toward rescheduling. Yeah, she got dragged kicking and screaming, Russ. <laughs> and then, of course, on the Republican side, at best you get, well, it's states' rights, and at worst you get Chris Christie. So looking forward to the 2016 election, presidential election, possibly five, six, seven states voting on marijuana, what happens to federal policy moving forward? Well, you know, if I had my dream come true and Bernie Sanders was president, then we would have a, a joint effort, no pun intended, right? So we'd have the states moving forward and ending prohibition. At the same time, we'd have the federal government recognizing the failures of prohibition and moving to make that change. That's what's required. It's got to come from both directions. Because otherwise, we're going to have what we had with alcohol prohibition, which means we're going to have to have enough states that decide they're no longer going to follow federal prohibition for the feds to give it up and say, well, maybe this isn't important anymore. That's going to take at least 20 states because we haven't seen it with medical and we have 23 of those. Right. Um, so I think we're really going to need someone to take leadership. And, you know, I, I know that people are like, oh, but Bernie can't win. But what if he can? You know, what if he can? Yeah. I mean, what if we as a country are that fed up? You know, what if we as a country are reaching the point where the young people are so fed up they're actually going to vote? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really important. And, you know, I, I listen to the debates and I watch the debates, 
and I have to tell you, I really just don't see a better candidate. Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't. I, I'm 100% on board with you, and I recall back in 2007, there was an unknown senator with a funny name that started with a B, that was 20 points behind the presumptive Democratic nominee. He became our president. And his middle name was Hussein. <laughs> so socialist doesn't scare me any, right? I know. I well, you know. Hussein. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And I think that, you know, we've got Canada yeah. with my boyfriend, Justin Trudeau, oh, getting elected. Yeah. You know, I said that to my class and they thought I was serious. I, I was very flattered they thought I could land someone like Justin Trudeau. Um, but I think that it's going to put pressure on the U.S. I, I really do. You know, I think that, you know, the, the excuse of, well, you know, we can't do things if other countries don't do them. I think that's going to put a lot of pressure. And then the UNGAS, you know, the, the, the U.N. meeting. So, right. So if they are able to take marijuana out of the list of drugs that countries are not allowed to legalize, you're going to see rapid fire legalization across the globe. And that will put a huge dent in the federal plan for prohibition, absolutely. regardless of who's president. Yeah, absolutely. Amanda Ryman from the Drug Policy Alliance. So much we can talk to you about, but we are out of time in our first hour. Well, it's been a pleasure being here, Russ. I guess we'll have to uh, go and celebrate with everyone else. we got another hour here, folks. We'll have more folks coming up to talk. I believe Diane Goldstein from LEAP will be here. Amanda, thanks for joining us here. My pleasure. Appreciate Anytime. It. And we'll see you. That's it for Hour 1, folks. Stay tuned. Hour 2 is next, live from the Reform Conference 2015 here in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Radical Russ. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Where you can tow. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Poplin, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Do 
We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Gonza Graphics, the sultan of Sativa Statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back here at the 2015 International Drug Reform Conference. We are live from the exhibit hall. Actually, the registration and reception area here at the Drug Reform Conference. People are still checking in. There's a an open uh, cash bar and uh, hors d'oeuvres and everybody's shaking hands getting getting to meet each other getting to say hi so many of these people that we work together with throughout drug law reform you know a lot of these a lot of our work is done over the internet so it's wonderful to be able to get together uh, at these conferences every two years and to share the knowledge that we're all working together uh, at ending the prohibition of drugs and the punishment of people who use them and uh, I want to just let you know that we've got so much to cover over these past these next three days. But my coverage is going to be specifically on the uh, the marijuana topics that are brought up. Uh, already today, there was a federal lobbying day. Over two hundred people attending this conference gathered at uh, the House uh, to lobby their Congress members as well as lobby their senators for drug law reform. That took place all day today. So plenty of actual activism going on here as well as reform conference and speeches and displays and so forth. All of the groups are here. I've seen displays from Normal, MPP, DPA, MAPS, uh, Safe Access. Uh, They're all here. Families for Sensible Drug uh, Reform, uh, Students for Sensible Drug Policy. If they're involved in this issue, they are here at the Reform Conference. And again, it's international. We're not talking just about the United States here. We've got people from South America, from Europe, from Asia. It's just an amazing time. Uh, if you can plan ahead, it's two years away, folks. Plan ahead and make it to the Atlanta Conference because it will be some of the best three days of networking and education you will ever get on this issue. Now, Thursday, tomorrow... There'll be an opening plenary session, and then there's three sessions, uh, three different scheduled breakout times. And during these breakout times, there's like you know nine or ten different things you could attend. But uh, like I said, I'll be covering the marijuana-related ones here for Marijuana Politics and Cannabis Radio. Uh, so tomorrow, the first breakout I'll be attending is called The End is Nigh. When will Congress end federal marijuana prohibition? This is featuring uh, numerous speakers, including Representative Earl Blumenauer, my congressman and representative Dana Rohrbacher from California, a Democrat and a Republican. This is a bipartisan issue, folks. Uh, the second uh, breakout of the day will be the drug war and the militarization and bastardization of police practices featuring Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors and my friend Diane Goldstein from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, uh, a retired lieutenant commander with the Redondo Beach Police Department, who's a board member from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. And then the final panel will be Porro Ganja Mota Grass, Models for Cannabis Regulation from Around the World. This is one of the international panels on marijuana that we'll be covering, featuring representatives from Mexico, Costa Rica, Uruguay, Jamaica, the UK, and Germany. 
So that's going to be amazing. But to me, I think the most amazing thing I'm looking forward to tomorrow is the night uh, event. There is a town hall meeting, uh, a Black Lives Matter town hall meeting connecting the dots where drug policy reform and the Black Lives Matter movements intersect. Uh, and, and, and representatives from Black Lives Matter will be there, representatives from the, the various drug reform organizations, showing how this truly is a civil rights issue. This truly is a civil rights issue. And given the disproportionate policing of the drug war that dramatically over uh, incarcerates black people and Latino people, uh, this is a very, very timely panel, very timely town hall. And uh, we'll bring you highlights for that from that on Friday's show because it'll be taken Thursday night after uh, my show. Now, on Friday, there'll be another plenary session and three more breakout sessions. The first one is going to be Beyond Marijuana, Legalization, and the Movement to Reform Other Drug Policies. That will feature the executive directors of Drug Policy Alliance, that's Ethan Nadelman, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, that's Major Neil Franklin, and Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, and that would be Alan St. Pierre. In the uh, second uh, stanza, we will be taking a look at Case Studies, a Racial Justice Approach to Marijuana Policy Reform. That will feature activists from the NAACP and the ACLU speaking to the audience. And then the final breakout session of the day will be Coerced Treatment, the Treatment versus Incarceration Model. I am really looking forward to this panel because I have long uh, asserted that a lot of what the drug war is about is a jobs program. It's a make-work program for cops, make-work for prison guards, probation officers, parole officers, and, of course, the rehab industry. When we can see that well over half of the people in rehab for marijuana are there because the criminal justice system forced them to go, that shows us that this is all about profits. And then on Saturday, we've got three more breakout sessions, Ensuring Inclusion, Repairing Damage, Diversity, Equity, and the Marijuana Industry. Asha Bandele from DPA and Shailene Title from THC Staffing Group will be featured. Medical Cannabis in 2015 from the lab to the clinic featuring cannabis researchers Dr. Ethan Russo and Dr. Sue Sisley. And from Illicit to Licit, Challenges of Marijuana Legalization featuring Larissa Bolivar from the Cannabis Consumers Coalition and Karen O'Keefe from the Marijuana Policy Project. I'll be bringing you highlights every day, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, a special Saturday edition at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on CannabisRadio.com. We'll take a break, and we'll be back from the Reform Conference right You're after this. Into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement, he went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq war, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you, 
to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. Jive, marry, grifo, grass, hay. Technically, it's cannabis sativa. The common name, marijuana. She has found a crutch to see her through her difficulties instead of facing up to them and coping with them. And in time, she may be ready to try something different, something better. Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Welcome back here. We're live from the Reform Conference 2015. I'm Radical Russ sitting at the desk, and we're having ourselves a great time watching the people come in and make their way into the conference. We'll have more guests joining us here at the desk in just a moment. In the meantime, we'll take a look at what's happening in the marijuana news. Uh, we reported earlier uh, on a uh, on the uh, Chuck Rosenberg situation, the acting administrator of the Drug Enforcement uh, Administration, who called uh, smoked marijuana a joke. Uh, my representative, Earl Blumenauer, has now, uh, he has now come forth to uh, call for his resignation uh, or his firing uh, for calling smoked medicine a joke. So we will uh, keep you posted on that. Uh, we will likely run into Congressman Blumenauer sometime uh, over these next couple of days. Also, uh, wanted to just quickly talk a little bit about my trip to Jamaica. Uh, I just returned from Jamaica, and it was pretty uh, incredible uh, what I saw and what I experienced there. Uh, I was there for three days in Negril and another three days in nearby Montego Bay. And it's an amazing place because it's, it's a place of extremes, you know, there's, there's beauty and there's ugliness. There's wealth and there's poverty. There's hope and despair. You can see the most exquisite expressions of nature. White sand beaches and just beautiful and palm trees. And then you'll also see a fetid creek filled with garbage. Just garbage, just laying around. You'll see luxurious resort hotels right up next to squalid tin shacks. You'll find vendors hawking just about everything. You know, statuettes and t-shirts and food and ganja, ganja, ganja. Everywhere ganja. Everybody's got some ganja. It was really strange. Uh, culturally, there's just so many differences to take in. I was in Montego Bay and I, and I caught a cab at the airport. And I'm at the airport and I've got an open red stripe beer in one hand. And I got a half smoldering spliff in the other. And I just jumped right into the cab. I, it wasn't even a second thought. I just got into the cab. Hey, man, I need a ride, man. And he was cool with it. He's like, hey, smoking the ganja. Hey, all right. And there was no problem with it. And I, I got thinking that what I'm doing right now is so illegal back home, so forbidden back in the United States, but absolutely casual and natural in Jamaica. 
it's it's just weird to me that America has four states where marijuana is supposedly legal, but it's absolutely forbidden in public. God forbid someone sees a marijuana plant or or a joint. Oh no. But in Jamaica, it's still technically illegal. Yet everywhere you look, there's ganja, 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 right there in public. Guys, you know, everywhere you look, smoking ganja. Just really strange. But one thing you notice uh, really quickly in Jamaica is that everybody is hustling. Everybody's hustling. The people there are so poor and so eager and friendly. You walk down any street and you're going to find someone inviting you into their shop or offering to sell you ganja. But they're not so pushy that they refuse to take no man for an answer. There was one memory. This is going to be the, the memory that's just ingrained forever for me about Jamaica. I was, I was sitting at this beach bar, and it's overlooking the white sand beaches and the ocean. There's a little sailboat. I mean, just po- postcard picture perfect, right? You got the aquamarine water. Uh, it looked like a vacation brochure, right? And I'm sitting there at this bar, and I'm drinking some rum punch, smoking a spliff. And the oceanscape in front of me is kind of framed like a letterboxed movie, right? So, like, the deck covering and the deck, and then on the side, you got the two walls. So, it really, it looked like a, you know, a frame from a movie. And that's when this old, blind Jamaican man walks into the frame from the left. He's got his cane in front of him, walking down the beach, And he's about five feet away from the water. And he's moving from my left to the right. And he walks about four steps. He stops. And he pivots to the right so that he's facing the bar. And and at this point, he's about 25 feet away from me. But he's got his hand out. You know, he's got his cane in one hand. He's holding his other hand out. And he's singing a little song. But there's nobody near him. There's nobody around him at all. I'm the only guy at this bar sitting there watching. And so when nobody hears him and he doesn't get any money, he turns back to the left, puts out his cane, walks four more steps, turns back to the right, holds out his hand and starts singing his little song again. And then he turns back to the left and walks four more steps, turns back to the right, holds out his hand and starts singing again. And I I watched him do this like three or four more times before he starts approaching the right side of my frame, about to walk out of the edge. And I just couldn't help. I mean, I got up and I ran over and gave him, you know, two, three hundred dollars Jamaican, which is like, you know, two fifty in American, two dollars fifty cents in American. But, you know, fortune down there for a lot of people. So uh, he takes the money and he says, blessings, man, blessings, much respect. And then he shook my hand and then turned back to the left, walked four more steps, turned back to the right, held out his hand and started singing. And I don't know if that was the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life or the most uplifting thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I saw him later in the week, miles away at a whole different beach, doing the same thing. So when it comes to Jamaica, I will never forget this man or his tremendous smile or his amazing courage in the face of such adversity. That's some of the magic of Jamaica. And and one of the things that I think is kind of sad is we're moving into this world of legalized marijuana, and yet the legacy of Jamaican marijuana, Jamaican ganja farmers, they're still as poor as ever. And unfortunately, I, if you've heard, there's a, there's a brand called Marley Natural out there, 
the uh, Privateer Holdings, the company that owns Leafly, the venture capitalists that own Leafly, signed a deal with the uh, estate of Bob Marley to sell this brand called Marley Natural. But it's not Jamaican ganja. In, in, in Jamaica, cultivation for commercial purposes is still illegal. So all those Marley Naturals are going to be grown in some warehouse in Colorado and sold primarily to Americans. And the poor ganja farmers are never going to see a dime from it. So I'm hoping as we move forward in legalization and we end these international treaties against marijuana and allow there to be some uh, exchange between nations, that we get to a point where those Jamaican ganja farmers can be uplifted. Ain't just me, by the way. I don't see you doing any better in the booty department. Well, Mr. President, that's awfully presumptuous of you. Hey, folks, it's 20 after. That means it's 420 on the West Coast, the best coast. Shout out to all my homies back in Portland, Oregon. Light them if you got them. We're back from the Reform Conference live right after this. good growing green is good making green is great cannabisradio.com imagine life without taxes let new era certified public accountants new handle your cannabis 280e and tax strategy get your business prepared with new era cpa's cannabis finance boot camp new with years of experience in the industry we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers dispensaries and ancillary companies from washington to california new great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly but building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb ready to make your new website or replace your existing website think orange as the new way to get in the black orange hill development works with fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge brands like absolute carlsberg and nestle trust orange hill development Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Everyone knows music and marijuana go together, so let's wind up our 20 after break with the Russ Belleville Show's Daily Toker Tunes. The best in pod safe 420 music from around the web. Today is Irie Wednesday, featuring reggae, ska, and other world music genres. Now, sit back and enjoy your daily toker tunes. Welcome back, everyone. We're live here at the Reform Conference 2015 at the Crystal Gateway Marriott in Alexandria, Virginia. And I am uh, ready for our... <laughs> I've got so many things coming at me. I got to I got to get all organized. It is 20 after though, so it means we have to take our 20 after music break and Wednesday, perfect day here at the International Reform Conference because Wednesday is our International Music Day. And our good friend Gordon Green from the show Gordon Green's Music Planet on 420radio.org brings us the latest in great world music. And today, we got a tune for you from a group called Gogol Bordello. And the song is called Start Wearing Purple. Enjoy. I want to tell everybody a true story. 
Start wearing purple, wearing purple. Start wearing purple for me now. All your sanity and wits, they will all vanish. I promise. It's just a matter of time. So, yeah. Since you were a 20 I was 20 And thought that some years from now A purple little little lady Will be perfect For dirty old and useless clown So yeah From Diogenes to the Foucault From Lozhetskin to Passepartout Hey, I клянусь, обоссав два пальца Что ты, а? Что музыка пошла? Отзывуковому You start wearing purple Why don't you start wearing purple Start wearing purple For me MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. 
Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. Get dot buzz. Dot Buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. Dot Buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. Dot Buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. Dot Buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while. Share. That's right. We're hanging out and sharing right here at the International Drug Reform Conference 2015. We're live at the Crystal Gateway Marriott in beautiful Arlington, Virginia, right next to Washington, D.C., an amazing conference going to be happening here over the next three days. We'll be bringing you all the highlights, interviews, and analysis right here on CannabisRadio.com. Check me out on the Russ Belleville Show, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, every weekday. That's 3 p.m. Pacific Time. You can also listen on podcasts through CannabisRadio.com, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and more. So uh, people are still getting registered here. Uh, we've been open for an hour and a half, and there's still a line of people getting their registration. The attendance of this conference is huge. We're talking 300, 400, 500 people. How y'all doing? Good to see you. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of people to talk to, and uh, right now they're all on the other end of the hall enjoying uh, beverages and hors d'oeuvres. But uh, we'll, we'll, wind someone, we'll get someone over here to uh, uh, slip into my trap. Uh, I was just speaking to a the director of the Atlanta Harm Reduction Coalition, and uh, she's talking about putting together a show for Cannabis Radio. That would be wonderful. We could use many, many more shows, and especially we want to hear from people in the South, from the Midwest, from the Intermountain West, the, some of these places that are going to be very, very difficult to try to change laws. As Amanda Ryman said in hour one, the low-hanging fruit is gone after 2016, either legislatively or through initiative, marijuana is going to be legal in all the places you'd expect it to be. The West Coast, the Northeast. So the focus now is how do we change the laws in places like Wyoming, or Tennessee, or Louisiana, or Kentucky, or North Dakota. So many places where we still have yet to make those inroads. Now, the good news is, at this point in time, there are only 10 states in America that do not have some form of medical marijuana. Now, I have to include the low CBD people in that, those low CB or those CBD only states, low THC states in that. But at least that, at least you got Texas, Georgia, Virginia, all these other southern states that recognize something about marijuana is medicinal. Now, we can keep moving them to understanding that all of marijuana is medicinal, but we've got them through the door. We got the door open. Only 10 states left that do not have some form of medical marijuana. That would be Idaho, Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, 
uh, in West Virginia. There we go. There's the 10. Now, out of those 10, you can take two more off the list, Ohio and Nebraska, that have a form of decriminalization. That leaves us with just eight states in the U.S. where marijuana in every form for every person under any circumstances is illegal. That's, that's amazing how far we've come. But we can't let these CBD laws and we can't let decriminalization be a method of just forestalling the true progress we need. And that is the end of prohibition. The end of prohibition. And, and, and I sometimes say the end of prohibition rather than legalization. Because legalization invites the big discussion of what is true legalization. Oh, does it have age limits? Does it have plant limits? Does it have possession limits? And all that. Does it have medical requirements? But I'm talking about the end of prohibition. The end of punishing people for what they do with their own bodies so long as they aren't harming others. And I think that might be a key in how we unlock some of these other states is to start talking about this as ending prohibition rather than legalizing drugs. When you talk about legalizing drugs, especially in in a conservative state, in a a very rural or or highly religious state, when you talk about legalizing drugs, you might might as well be talking about electing Satan for president, right? It's evil. Drugs is evil. Drugs are bad. So how do you convince people to legalize that? Because to a lot of people, when they hear legalize, that means to accept, to promote, to, uh, for it to be sanctioned. And that's not at all what we're talking about. What we're talking about is ending the punishment for people that use drugs. So I think as we look forward in our framing and trying to open up the Midwest, the Intermountain West, and the South, is we got to shift that framing to ending prohibition. Part of what makes people vote is a story. And in that story, they want to be the hero. Every, every voter wants to be the hero of his own story that is either promoting a great good or defeating a great evil. So when we ask them to vote for something like legalization, that to them sounds like promoting evil. But if we can convince them that they need to vote to end prohibition, end locking people up, end wasting our money, that I think is going to be a more palatable message to those people. They're going to have a better understanding And we can make them have a better understanding of how prohibition harms us all. See, right now, the prohibition that exists exists partially out of inertia, but also partially because there's a a significant segment of the population that thinks it works. They think prohibition actually does something, accomplishes something. That without prohibition, some people who might want to take drugs would, and then they'd overdose and die, and we have addiction and mass casualties and mayhem they need to be shown that what we have under prohibition is the worst possible solution to the problem of drugs there is nothing about drugs that can't be made worse by prohibiting them and i know of where i speak my father was an alcoholic and by the way if you weren't noticing alcohol is a drug folks Not only is alcohol a drug, it's a hard drug. And alcoholism was devastating to him and to me and my brother and my mom as we were growing up. It was almost family destroying, my father's alcoholism. It almost took his life. He almost committed suicide over his alcoholism. None of that would have been improved 
with the threat of cops taking him away. None of that would have been improved with the possibility that I would have grown up my teenage years without a dad. If my dad had been a cocaine addict or a heroin addict rather than an alcohol addict, he might, he might have had to serve a long stretch in prison. But strangely, we've got this drug, alcohol, the, the hardest of the drugs, the most deleterious of the drugs to the user and to society with this free pass. Alcohol's got this free pass from our society. And part of it is because of this framing. Part of this is because when it comes to alcohol, we don't even have a vocabulary that describes it as a drug. When you, ha- when you do alcohol, you're drinking. But when you take drugs, you're doing drugs. Nobody ever says they do alcohol, right? They drink. In drinking, you can be a social drinker. With drugs, you're a drug abuser. Even if you're just social about it, maybe, maybe you go to a party and stiff a line of Coke, or maybe you smoke a joint uh, at a high school reunion. And they can't understand, people don't understand that there's a difference between a, a use and abuse. To them, all drug use is abuse. With alcohol, you don't have an overdose, you have a hangover. With alcohol, you're not high, you're buzzed, you're tipsy, you're a social drinker. We have a whole different vocabulary when it comes to describing the use of alcohol that is a completely different vocabulary that we have from the use of drugs. When alcohol is the hardest of the drugs, it makes no sense. But it does illustrate the cultural dynamic that we're dealing with in trying to end prohibition. Sometimes I like to play with this frame. Sometimes I like to ask people if they work with any drug addicts. (laughs) Do you have any drug addicts at your work? Oh, no, no, no. We we don't have any drug addicts at our work. Why? We have drug testing. We don't have any drug addicts at our work. Oh, really? So what's that coffee machine in the break room for? For the caffeine addicts, right? For the people who say they can't start their day without a cup of joe. So our workplaces all around the country are making an accommodation for drug addicts. Here's another example. How many of you work at a place where drug addicts are allowed eh, at least every couple of hours to go get their fix? You ever worked at a place where drug addicts every two hours or so could go get their fix? I'll bet you have. It's called a smoke break. We've got companies in this country that will take company funds and spend them on outdoor shelters. For the cigarette smokers, so the nicotine addicts at work can take a break and go get their fix. (laughs) Sounds different when you frame it that way, doesn't it? Nicotine addicts going to get their fix. So I'm always a little perplexed when the anti-drug movement warns us of the dangers of legalizing marijuana because, oh my God, it would would end, we'd have a massive loss of productivity. There'd be a massive loss of productivity with all these pot addicts in the workplace. Really? Any less than the 15 minutes the nicotine addicts are taking off every two hours? Totaling up an hour worth of productivity every day so they can get their nicotine fix? So think about the framing as we move forward. Think about how we get through to the people 
in the Midwest, in the South, in the Intermountain West. And the number one thing you can do, listener, is to be out and proud, is to educate the person next to you, is to bring up these conversations, to lead them to the sources all throughout the Internet, podcasts and websites that can explain the truth about the situation we're dealing with. Our friends at Leap like to say that there's drug problems and there's drug prohibition problems. And what we're seeing, 90% of the problems that people think are drug problems are really drug prohibition problems. The drugs themselves can be managed. And people that do have serious addiction problems, serious dependency issues, we can help them medically. Can you imagine... If, like, we had a war on cancer and, like, anybody that, that had cancer, we'd send cops to their door to help them deal with the cancer? Well, that's ludicrous, right? Cops aren't doctors. Right. Cops aren't doctors. So why are cops involved in dealing with people that have drug problems? It makes no sense. Now, speaking of cops. <laughs> speaking of cops. Come on over, join join the fun. <laughs> Hi, nice to see you. We're getting interviewed for Russ's radio show now. Diane Goldstein. Do you have an extra one? Board member of Leap is here, and I'll put this between the two of you so we can get both so of you. So Annie is a former MI5. Okay. And she's our our Leap Europe and Leap UK director. Annie, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be on. So, so MI5 for my uh, American listeners, tell them what that is. MI5 is the sort of equivalent of the FBI. So it's the UK Domestic Security Service. Okay. And I worked there in the 1990s before resigning to blow the whistle and going on the run about all the intelligence fuck-ups that we saw. Okay. So uh, policing in, in the UK, a lot different than policing here in America. Our, our cops kill us, <laughs> for one. Um, what, what are some of the differences you notice in trying to to get law enforcement over there to understand this problem and, and why prohibition isn't working? Well, um, representing Leap Europe, um, it's very easy to see the huge cultural differences. I mean, Europe has been much more forward-thinking than America over the last two decades in terms of drug policy reform. So even within the tight terms of the UN treaties, which bind all our countries to the idea of prohibition the war on drugs. In Europe, what we've seen is that many countries have decriminalized personal use, particularly Portugal since 2000, Switzerland since 1994, where they have safe injection sites. Um, the Netherlands most famously, of course, by allowing coffee shops since 1976. So in Europe, we've seen these experiments in at least decriminalizing personal use of drugs. And all the social outcomes have been amazingly positive. Crime goes down, health issues go down, um, you know, infections go down, youth use goes down. Um, so what we're trying to do in Europe is put pressure, set up leap groups, particularly in the UK and Germany, and we now have, and ensure that we have a voice in, from Europe and also we're seeing from Latin America, many countries now coming together, to say that the war on drugs is an absolute failure and we need to rethink the UN treaties. If the war on drugs has failed, 
what is the next sensible approach? I would go with Einstein's definition of insanity. You carry on doing the same thing, expecting to win the outcome, it's not going to happen. And that's what we're doing in Europe. We're trying to shift the boundaries. Um, and I think what we need now to do is change the UN treaties so that all the countries in the world have the flexibility to implement drug policies that are suitable to their culture, their religion if necessary, um, and also to eradicate crime. Now, uh, the UNCAS, the UN General Assembly, is coming up uh, in April. And I, am I incorrect? It's, it's happening on April 20th, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's gonna <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, in, in making the change there, uh, there's numerous UN treaties, 1961 treaty, a couple of others. Uh, what do you? What's your prognosis for this? I mean, I don't know a lot about the international political world. I know there's a UN Security Council, and that's about all I know about the UN. So what's the prognosis for international change? Well, it's a difficult one because um, the US has been the fountainhead of problems of these US, uh, UN drug treaties. They are the ones who declared the war on drugs. They're the ones who have enforced that the international community adheres to those UN treaties that ban drugs, that enforce prohibition. Um, however, of course, the U.S. has lost its moral high ground over the last few years, not only with the medical marijuana use, but also with full legalization of marijuana in, I think, five states. Four. Four. four, four. Um, and that has been a very positive outcome for those states that have legalized, particularly Colorado. I mean, it's raised huge amounts of tax money. I think it's 70 to $90 million in one year. Yeah, which all goes into public services. And this is a question that is impossible for anyone to argue against, that if regulation creates this amount of tax and our economies are effectively broken, our countries are in debt after the credit crunch with the banks in 2008, how can any country not afford, realistically, to look at legalization, regulation and tax yes. of these drugs? Because it's a no-brainer. Plus, it takes the funding of organized crime cartels, it, is ruined, it stops that. I mean, we were looking at the biggest global crime wave we've ever seen because of prohibition. Sure. Uh, I think it's estimated between $320 billion to half a trillion dollars per year in profits to these drug cartels. And also, speaking from my MI5 background, I know that over half of the world's designated terrorist organizations receive most of their funding from the illegal drug trade. Mm -hmm. So think about it. It's the perfect business cycle for someone somewhere yes. where you have a situation where we have um, drug prohibition drives the drug trade underground and then that drug trade funds terrorism. So we fight the war on drugs to fund the war on terrorism. Drug prohibition funds terrorism. I cannot say it more simply than that. Very well put. Let's go to Diane Goldstein from Leap. Uh, Diane, you're presenting, you're presenting tomorrow a panel that I think is very important and very timely on prohibition. So uh, tell folks about the panel that you'll be doing tomorrow. So tomorrow I'm sitting on a panel on the militarization of law enforcement. And, you know, in line with kind of the interesting tie-ins to what Annie's talking about is what concerns me about this recent Paris attack is that law enforcement is already starting, local law enforcement, you know, state, local, national law enforcement is already starting to say, this is why we need the continued um, use of the, the 1033 federal program that gives us access to, you know, automatic rifles and grenades yeah. and tanks <laughs> in, in order to shield Americans. And so 
one of the things that happens is if you look at the history of the drug war is we have changed the drug war to the war on terrorism. There's been a direct link. Is is a lot of the very, very interesting, the Patriot Act, for example, you know, the NSA is the spine on Americans, ha- has really resulted in providing this false sense of security to Americans that we're willing to give up our constitutional liberties and rights in order to feel safe. Yeah. We're not necessarily safer. We just want to, it's that emotional issue that's, that's completely tied into this thing. And so there is a direct link between the start of the drug war, 9-11, and the implementation of these militarization equipment and training that goes into what domestic law enforcement is doing. But the problem is, is if you look at simply something like the Patriot Act and and you look at wiretapping, and so with the Patriot Act, what happened is there were the the sneak and peek warrants that were authorized by federal judges. And if you look at the breakdown of the sneak and peek warrants, is like 90% of them are for narcotics or 95 and maybe 5% of them were actually for terrorism. Yeah. And so we've we've had this huge mission creep when it comes to America's domestic, national and local and state law enforcement policies relative to making America feel safe. And, and you know, and it hasn't done it. I mean, I got all these emails about, "Oh my god, you're going to Washington DC." is don't you know about the threats and you shouldn't go to malls or to the monuments and yesterday my fight against what happened in Paris is I took the subway I went down to the mall and I walked miles from the state capitol and went to the museums and ended up at the Lincoln Memorial and the Martin Luther King Memorial to say this is exactly what we should be doing we as Americans should be in fact in malls in our national monuments to tell the terrorists we're not afraid of them. And we shouldn't let law enforcement take that fear and use it yeah. to violate our constitutional rights. Agreed. And if I if I could just borrow a phrase, keep calm and carry on, right? Keep calm and carry on, folks. Woo! That's all the time we got today. Uh, co- coming up next, we got Stoner Jesus. Stay tuned for Stoner Jesus. He will bless you with stony goodness. I'm Radical Russ, live from the International Drug Reform Conference in Alexandria, Virginia. We'll bring you more coverage tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday, a special show on Saturday, so make sure you join us. For everyone here at the International Drug Reform Conference and at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, tokers. is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com.
Take a scene, you manage.